might be the most uncoordinated person that you've met. And so what I've had problems with this morning is the mic. And so let's just make sure it's going to be okay. Okay, that's it. Okay, I, I really am. I'm probably the most uncoordinated person you met. I was at a girlfriend's house a couple weeks ago, and she was trying to teach a bunch of us how to knit. I'm going to confess that to you. I, I've tried to learn how to knit. And so as everyone's knitting, there's all this talking going around me as they're knitting. And I'm saying to myself, Shh, could you please be quiet? I'm really concentrating. I just don't have that basic hand-eye coordination at all. So I'm excited that my mic is working, and hopefully I'll be okay for the next few moments with you. Um, yeah, the next few moments with you. As I look at the clock this morning, I'm reminded um, in a few short hours, I'll be going to the movies with my children. I have three kids, and this weekend I'll be going to the movies. And the movie that I'll be seeing on the big screen, I'm a little scared to see it on the big screen. I've seen the first two on the small screen, is um, High School Musical 3. And I'm a little scared that I might be overwhelmed by the eternal springs of optimism that will come from that movie. I, I gotta confess to you, I normally like a little darker of a movie, um, my own personal choices, and so I'm a little scared uh, for my experience this afternoon with my children with High School Musical 3. If you have any desire to see High School Musical 3 and we're looking for a good excuse, you are, you're welcome to come with us. Let me just open that invitation. You're welcome to spend the afternoon with us. But seriously, I do. I love movies. I love film. And my husband and I, on Friday night, to balance out High School Musical 3, we had the opportunity to watch one of these great summer blockbusters that came out this summer. We watched Iron Man. And I was so excited to see Iron Man, a lot because of who Robert Downey Jr. is. And I love the fact, because of who he is, and because we know his story, and we've seen his life transform before our eyes, and we've seen him, you know, go through these ups and downs, I knew that this character, what he would bring to the role of Tony Stark? Stark. Okay, I knew what he would bring to the role to Tony Stark would make it so complex because of who he is. And so I go into the movie expecting to see this Tony Stark character changed, expecting to see extreme transformation in Iron Man. And guess what? If you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to ruin it for you, but you do. You see great transformation in this guy and in his character. And he is this, you know, he starts out the movie this man who's kind of completely self-absorbed, you know, very um, concerned with gratifying himself and his, his way, his way all the time, you know, and make this he makes his friends wait on him consistently. Um, he just, you see how selfish he is, how self-absorbed he is. And then through a series of events, through um, crazy circumstances, you know, he not, go, he not only goes from this man who makes weapons, you know, and makes money making weapons, through a, tr you know, through a series of events, he becomes this man who builds this incredible, me guys like this incredible powered suit thing um, that he uses to destroy the very weapons he's created you know very different than other superheroes like the Incredibles who kind of are born with this superpower and then they just get cool matching suits you know his power is coming from the suit itself so anyway what's great about this movie is I'm watching the movie the whole time and the movie ends and you see him in this press conference in the final scenes and you see him struggle with who he was and who he is. You see him kind of struggle with who he was and who he is. And as he's in this press conference, he's fumbling through his words, and he's kind of saying, you know, I'm not really the hero type because of these things I've done. And I can't remember exactly what he says, but he, you see him. You see him remembering who he was 
And then all of a sudden, he looks at the, you know, he looks at the press conference that's before him, and then he says, but I am Iron Man. And I love that moment. And I'm like, yes! And I love that moment because what happens is that moment is that he cannot deny there's been a transformation in his life. He cannot deny that there has been an extreme transformation in his life. And he declares it, and he declares it publicly. And we know from that moment on, he's not going to be a self-absorbed person that he's going to be used to change and transform the world and save it. And I can hardly wait for the sequel. But anyway, it's just cool. It's cool. I just love that moment in the movie. I watched my poor husband. I made him watch that final scene five times um, because I just love that transformation moment when he says it and he declares it so boldly that this is who I am. I'm changed. I'm transformed. I'm Iron Man. Um, and I love that, you know, and I love the superhero genre. I can't wait um, to read Watchmen and to see that movie as well. I love this concept of the reality of that there's some kind of power that breaks, that's there, that's out there, an alien power or power you've created, some kind of power that comes into a situation that's hopeless and brings hope. That there's some kind of power that comes into a situation that's hopeless and brings hope. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Miracles, he doesn't make the connection um, with superhero power, but he talks about the power that's in um, the fictional power that's in fairy tales and the fictional power that's in mythology. And he makes a connection to the faith world. Let me read this to you. The Christian miracles and their difference from these mythological miracles lies in the fact that they show an invasion by a power which is not alien. They show an invasion by a power that is not alien. They are what might be expected to happen when she is invaded not simply by a God, but the God of nature, by a power which is outside her jurisdiction, not as a foreigner, but as sovereign. They proclaim that he who has come is not merely a king, but the king, hers and ours. I love this other quote by C.S. Lewis as well that talks about miracles. It says this, each miracle writes for us in small letters something that God has already written or will write in letters almost too large to be noticed across the whole canvas of nature. I love it that we have a God of miracles. Because I don't know about you, but I need miracles in my life. And I need to be reminded of the fact that there is a God who busts in on the scene with not some kind of alien power, but with his power. And the power to expect transformation, the power to change. You know, this week I feel like has just been, um, I don't know if you have some of these weeks, I have some weeks that are just like a roller coaster to me. And on um, Tuesday night, I just felt this heaviness. And um, when I woke up Wednesday morning, I just couldn't shake it. It was like a heaviness, like a blanket on me. And I wish I could say why it was there or what it, what it was there from, but I'm not exactly sure. I don't know if this happens in your life. I'm not even sure if I could pinpoint why I felt that way, but I did. Um, and I know that there were, there were sad circumstances going around, but I couldn't probably pinpoint on one thing. I just felt this heaviness. It was like a jacket that I couldn't take off, even if I tried. Erwin McManus talks about that feeling of pessimism um, or that feeling of despair, and he talks about it like this. It's like there is a puncture in your soul where the hope leaks out. Doesn't that describe despair? That there is a puncture in your soul where the hope leaks out. And we are left 
with the feeling of hopelessness. And when I feel that way, I don't know what you do when you feel stuck. When I feel that way, I know, unfortunately, there is nothing that I can do. There is nothing that I can do. I need some kind of miracle. I need a power to step in. I need um, the supernatural to come in and to pull me out of that pit. And what I'm excited about talking about this morning is the fact to remind you and to remind me that we do have a God who loves us, who created us, and we have a God of miracles, that we have a God of miracles, and how we can see in little letters what he has written across nature in big letters. And so this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at John chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first miracle that Jesus performed. If you've got your Bible, that's awesome, Um, but no big deal if you don't, because hopefully on the magic screen, John chapter 2 will be up there behind me, um, which is exciting. So anyway, there's John chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, grab it. If not, if you don't have a Bible, I don't even know where the extra Bibles are today. So you can have mine. If you don't have a Bible, I'll leave it up here. Just feel free to take it if you need to take a Bible. You're welcome to have my Bible. Okay, here we go. Um, Let's start. Are you ready? So we're reading John chapter 2. Um, verses 1 through 11. John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, the third day, I love that, John, let me say this, well, okay, let me say this really quick, even before we start, (laughs) let me say this before we even start, John is written like, John is so different than the other Gospels, you know, the book of John is written so different than the other Gospels, John's, the book of John is like a book full of signs and wonders, Um, N.T. Wright makes a comment about the book of John, he says this, he says, I love the book, the book of John is kind of like my wife, he says, I love her, but I don't pretend to understand her. Okay, and I think that that's good to remember as we engage in the text. You know, that we can love God and we can love his word. Do we always need to understand? No, it's like our spouse or our good friends. Like, I love you, but I'm not going to pretend I always understand what's going on in me there. But that doesn't change how I feel towards you. Does that make sense? Okay, so I love that. So I couldn't help it because, you know, obviously, or maybe not obviously, but exciting things happen in the Christian faith on the third day. Okay, so just just a little sidebar. So here we go. Okay, so I couldn't help it. That's why I did this. I'm not going to stop anymore. Here we go. Is everybody still with me? Okay. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants had drawn the water new. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. But you have saved the best till now. This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Canaan in Galilee, 
he thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put his faith in them. Then his disciples put their faith in him. That he revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Um, I love the reality. You know, anybody expecting transformation who was there that day, it had to be Mary. I mean, here's a woman who, uh, you know, she had incredible things. You can look back in Luke chapter 1. She had incredible things spoken over her before she ever conceived, you know, and she had incredible events surrounding Jesus' birth. Here she's told that you will have the Son of God, um, the Holy One. I mean, so if anybody is expecting transformation, is expecting change, it's Mary. It's Jesus' mother. And I know as a mother that I expect things from my children. But she, I mean, good night. I mean, she, the expectation level must have been un unbelievable. So here are these guys. So here comes Jesus to Galilee. He's bringing five extra guys with him, five guys with him to this wedding. And I'm sure in the course of the wedding, I'm sure in the course of the celebration, they must have told her the events that have happened back in John chapter one, told her about what John the Baptist said about her son. You know, that he is the son of God, that he is the lamb of God. And she sees, you know, in this moment when they're coming to the wedding, that Jesus has begun to gather, you know, the starts his disciples. He's gathered five guys with him. And so she's there, there, and she sees this, and it's building probably momentum, you know, that she feels like something is about to happen. And then Mary, being the incredible woman she is, being servant-minded, she, no- she notices that the wine has run out. Um, I said earlier, but don't you love the fact, don't you love the friend when you have the party who notices you're out of ice? Like you love that person who notices the details at that event. And Mary knows that they're out of wine, and she says to Jesus, can you do something about this? Can you do something about this? And Mary has this conversation with Jesus, and she doesn't know how or what Jesus is going, what he's going to do. She doesn't know how or what Jesus is going to do. But after she has this interaction with Jesus, she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. She's expecting change. She's expecting transformation. Do whatever he tells you to do. And so like I said, I I love the fact in the book of John, we don't exactly know what happened. You know, we can look at that text. We know that the servants were there, that they... That I don't, we don't know what happened. They know in that moment that they pulled out the water, and by the time that they brought it to the master, um, it had become wine. And it didn't. It's not like it just was okay wine or just good wine or whatever, like six dollar wine, but that it was the best. That it was the best wine. That somehow in that moment, we don't know how or we don't know what, but Jesus intervened, and he took limited resources, and he made something amazing. He took the little they had, and he didn't just make it good, but Jesus makes it best. That Jesus makes it best. And that what an incredible gift that Jesus, with his five guys, brought that day. Six gallons of the best wine. Six gallons of the best wine at the end of the party, the best. That Jesus brings, and with Jesus, brings the best. And in that moment, we know, obviously, I love the last line of that text, that it says that this is his first miraculous signs Jesus performed, and he revealed his glory, and his disciples put his faith in him. That he revealed his glory, and his disciples put his faith in them. I mean, that moment must have just been so awesome. I mean, so just awesome, just powerful in so many different levels, that there was just no choice. 
but to put their faith in him. It was like all the expectations that Mary had, all the buzz that was going around. Do you think he's the one? Do you think this is it? Did you think this is it? And then they watch that miracle happen, and they think, how can we, how can we not believe? We're in. We're all in. We believe, and we see his glory, and they put their faith in him. And I think sometimes when we're a part of big moments, you know, I don't know, like, uh, this happens for me a lot in nature, you know, when I, I'm just awed by God's presence. You know, last week I was in North Carolina, and it was an incredible experience to be on top of this mountain that was, I think it was like 57,000? No, 5,700? It was really big, really, really big. And you could, you could be on top of the mountain, and you just saw... You just saw, it was a very terrifying, remember I'm uncoordinated, it was very terrifying to get to the top of that mountain. But anyway, you could just see, as far as you could see, you could just see color, and you could see mountains, and you could see valley, valleys, and it was just awesome to be in God's presence. And in that moment, it was so awesome to think, I'm a part of that, that I'm a part of that. And I think the disciples, we don't know for sure, but maybe in that moment when God's glory was revealed and they put their faith in him, maybe they realized in that moment too that we are, in fact, created for God's glory. And not just the disciples, but that you are created for God's glory. Not your own, but God's. That you are created for God's glory. Isaiah um, 43, 7 says this, Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed, I made. That we are created for God's glory. We're created to reflect God's glory. And he's in the process of transforming us. But he's in the process of transforming us. Um, I think what's cool, too, you know, and I don't know, I don't know what that's like to be a disciple. I don't know what that's like to be on the scene. But C.S. Lewis writes this quote, too, which I think is so cool. He says, what's amazing about Jesus is that he's not a prodigy, that he's a pioneer. That he's not a prodigy, but he's a pioneer. And he is the first of his kind, but he will not be the last. And it's so amazing to think of the things that Jesus has done and to think of the things that Jesus will do and that we're a part of that, that we're not left out on the sidelines to watch, but that we become a part of that, that we can expect transformation in our lives and in the lives of people around us, that we can expect that. And we can expect when we give God humbly what we have and we ask Jesus to step in, that he can take the little that we have, this ooky water, that we have, figuratively or metaphorically speaking, and he can turn it into the best wine. That that's what Jesus does when we put him in the mix. He takes the little we have, and he makes it amazing. He makes it something best. That's not for our glory, but that's for his. Because he's the only one that can make and can, can have that kind of transformation. Um, I, you know, when I'm working through a scripture and I have this in the front of my brain and I'm teaching or getting ready to teach, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, all my relationships get the brunt of everything I've learned. And so, um, you know, my friends who hear the talk over and over and over again, and when I'm talking to them, you know, they might be upset or there might be something serious going on. I'm like, oh, I might have something to say to you on this because it just comes out all the time, whatever God is kind of laying on my heart. And so anyway, my poor husband, um, he's not in this service, but he's great. He was sitting there in this first service. But, okay. So anyway, so my husband um, here, you know, is a great, sweet, introverted guy. And so he gets a lot of um, this verbal processing and a lot of um, having to talk through things. And so poor Tripp, he, um, he's talking, we were talking the other, oh, 
Yeah, we were talking the other night, and he, um, and he says to me, he's talking about wanting to be more involved in kids' crew. And he makes this comment how he wants to be more involved in kids' crew, which is um, the children's ministry here at church. And I can't remember, he has some great idea about what he wants to do or how he wants to serve. And then he says all this good, great stuff, and then he puts a but there. And he says, but, and I'm like, oh, because it almost looks like when you hear that word but, it's almost like you negate the first part of their sentence. I'm like, oh, what's he going to say? And he goes, but I'm not sure if I have the time. He says this. He has this great idea. I feel like God might be calling me to do this thing, but I'm not sure that I have the time. And so remember, I'm thinking about John chapter 2. It's been on my heart and been on my mind for weeks now. And I look at my husband, and, and I just, I can't help it. I'm like, what? I was like, what do you mean you don't have the time? And he's like, Kathy, what are you talking about? I'm like, you can't say you don't have the time. He's like, what do you mean you can't say? What are you talking about? I was like, listen, 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 John chapter 2, you don't get the freedom to say you don't have the time anymore because we have a God who turns water into wine. He blows out the concept of time. You don't get that excuse anymore. Jesus takes a process he takes a process that should take time. To make good wine takes time. It takes months. It takes potentially years. And Jesus, in this first miracle that he does, he doesn't take something broken and fix it. He doesn't take something, um, it's not like a miracle of multiplication. It's a total, complete transformation, this first miracle. He takes ooky, yucky water, and he makes it the best wine. And he does it in that, like that. He takes something that should have taken so much time, and he does it in a moment. He does it in a moment. And I feel like that was that what that miracle reminds me of time and time again is, listen, you give me your time. Don't tell me that you don't have enough time, because time doesn't matter near as much as you think it does. Because I can have impact moments in your life in the lives of people around you with very little time. But you've got to be willing to give that time to me. And you ask me to step in. You ask me to turn water into wine. And you watch the miracle. You watch that miracle happen. You know, when I think about um, that concept of time, it's like that the image of, you know, you've got, you're sitting on the bench um, and you're getting ready to go into the game. And the coach is like, okay, I want you to go. I want you to play in the game. But you look at the clock and you say, but wait a second, wait a second. There's, you know, I, I'm, or, or you get up, you get ready to go in the game. You look at the clock, you're ready to play, and there's only two minutes left on the clock. And so instead of jumping up and getting in the game, what do you say? It's not enough time. There's not enough time. Don't you remember? I'm uncoordinated. I can't catch the ball. Don't you remember? I lost the past three games because I can't get the ball in the hoop. There's not enough time. I don't have that kind of resources. I don't have that kind of talent to make a difference in the last two minutes of the game. And so instead of playing, you sit down. And you miss out on seeing God do something incredible with limited resources. Because isn't that what's cool about miracles? God takes very limited resources, and he makes himself known. He steps into situations that seem hopeless, that seem without hope, and he brings hope. And he takes things like our time, and he multiplies them, and he gives them impact moments um, for time. I think what's exciting, you know, what's exciting about seeing, knowing that Jesus can transform us, knowing that we do have a God that turns water into wine, that we can expect transformation. And I love, I do, I love seeing that in film. I love seeing that in the books that I read. I love seeing characters transform. But what's more exciting for me is seeing it in real people like you and me 
and seeing it in real lives. And that's what's exciting to me about being a part of a body, is that we can expect transformation. We can ask and expect Jesus to step in with what we have, our limited resources, and we can expect him um, to turn something into the best and the best wine. I would love to read to you um, this quote. I love this book. It's by Eugene Peterson. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he talks about what does that look like as we live in community with one another? What does that look like when we have expectations of transformation for one another? Important in any community of faith is an ever-renewed expectation in what God is going to do with our brothers and our sisters in the faith. We refuse to label the others as one thing or another. We refuse to predict our brother's behavior, and we refuse to predict our sister's growth. Each person, each person, each person, each person in the community is unique, especially loved, and particularly led by the Spirit. A community of faith flourishes when we view each other with this, expecta- with this expectancy, wondering what will God do today in this one, and what will he do in that one. When we are in a community with those Christ loves and redeems, we are constantly finding out new things about them. They are new persons each morning, endless in our possibility, that we are endless in our possibility. We explore the fascinating depths of their friendship, share the secrets of their quest. It is impossible to be bored in such a community, impossible to feel alienated among such people. I am so excited to hear and to see what God is going to do next in your life and in my life and in our lives and to know that we have a God of miracles who really does turn water into wine.